Blog Talk Radio. Right away by by giving the call in 
We have a packed show tonight with lots of topics, and I want to uh, enable you to call in if you want to, to chime in, if you have a comment, if you have a question for myself or for other callers uh, later on the show. That number is 646-200-3715. 646-200-3715. Again, I'm Adrian Ross, your host for The Right Voice. So if you're tuned in for The Right Voice, then you made the right choice because this is the place to be right now. I'm very uh, glad to, to be your host, and, and I just want to say that it's good to be back. Uh, I was away for um, for Thanksgiving. I was in New York visiting, visiting family, and uh, during that time, while I was in New York, and also uh, after I returned, having having traveled, um, I was off the air for two Tuesdays, and I missed you, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm glad to be back. So, and then I also want to announce that that we have uh, something new. I, I formally did this show with a co-host, Glow Smith, and uh, for months we we uh, we did this show together. But now we are, uh, we've done something different, and I'm going to be hosting the show uh, by myself. I'm, I'm flying solo. So I'm excited about being able to do this with you every week. And uh, so if you're on, on Periscope, you, you uh, may have caught my, my last broadcast, which I just did a few minutes ago, trying to tell everybody to make sure that they, that they join me. And I was really brave. I was bold because I did my Periscope with no makeup on and the hair, as you say, it wasn't a hair do, it's a hair dope right about now, but I was bold and I, and I did it anyway because I wanted to get the message out there. And one of the things that I did share on Periscope was that uh, we have a, a Twitter handle and it's at the right voice one. So if you want to even um, get on there now during the broadcast, I'll, I'll try the multitask and multitask and uh, maybe with you as we do the broadcast, but it's at the right voice one, and also on Facebook, it's the right voice radio. So, Twitter is at the right voice one, Facebook is the right voice radio. Make sure you, you know, show us some love, click like and follow, and all that, all that good stuff. All right, so tonight, uh, as I said, we, we've got a lot to cover, and uh, if this is the first time you're joining us and you saw a tweet or whatever, then let me just let you know that, um, you know, we're here from 8 to 9 p.m. on Tuesdays. That's Eastern, 8 to 9 p.m. But sometimes um, we go a little bit over. So I always slot it for an hour and a half just in case. I, I call it overtime. But um, but the plan is, is to get it in an hour. And we have so much to cover. So, again, 646-200-3715. And uh, tonight's topic is, is political correctness killing us? And will 2016 save us? And that's a, such an important question. Is political correctness killing us? So, and uh, the whole point of the show is like, you know, political correctness has in the past been a source of contention between people. You know, how politically correct should we be? Should we throw it completely out of the place? Does it have its place? Whatever. But now, in the times that we're living, political correctness may very well be a danger. Uh, to, to our nation, you know, did political correctness contribute to the terrorist attack in San Bernardino, California, which we'll be talking about when Saeed Farouk and his wife, Tashima Leap, murdered 14 and injured dozens more, 2021? 20, did political correctness have a part in that? And we'll talk about that. You know, there was a ter the terrorist neighbor commented about suspicions, and, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but 
Why didn't she act on those suspicions? Was it political correctness? What would have happened had she acted on it? So we're going to look into that. And then we're also going to dive into uh, into uh, Donald Trump and the, the mess he seems to have stepped into in, in the last uh, day. And also we're going to talk about 2016. I know that I have a couple of people who are going to call in and talk about 2016. So <clears throat> Let's 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 jump in here. Let's talk about the California shooting. It's not even been a week. And uh, and I don't want to rehash it all because I know that if you're unless you're like totally got your head in the sand because you just can't take take all the news anymore. You've been following. Um, and but I, I need to highlight some things to set up, you know, for context here. San Bernardino information still unfolding. Uh Concerning these, uh, concerning the terrorist attack, we know that uh, Saeed and Tashin uh, or Tashin were uh, the the terrorists. Saeed Farouk was a U.S. citizen, and uh, his his uh, wife Malik. I'll just say the last name; it's easier. She was here on a on a fiance visa, born in Pakistan. She spent time in Saudi Arabia where her family is. She has a degree in pharmacy. Okay. So uh, he went to a workplace Christmas party, and originally the news was that he, uh, on last Wednesday when this happened, was that supposedly he had an altercation, and then he left in, in a huff, they say, and returned, and obviously with his wife. Now, from the very beginning, I have to say, I never bought that there was an, a real altercation. I never bought the idea that that he uh, got upset about something and then came back and decided to, to have vengeance. And surely, as information is unfolding, it is it become increasingly clear that this was pre-planned. Now, some people are saying, well, he planned to do something, but maybe not then. Maybe he got into this altercation left and then decided, okay, let's do this now. I don't buy that either. Whatever the case may be, we do know 14 dead, 21 injured, and a nation terrorized. And so as this investigation is ongoing, um, evidence shows some pre-planning. There was incredible weaponry, pipe bombs, ammo, guns. There were bombs, we're finding out, I guess just yesterday, that were set up to go off when the first responders showed up. Thank God that did not happen. They did not go off. <clears throat> The guns we found, and we're talking about this today, were used um, uh, were used in target practice days beforehand. Okay, and then the money situation. You guys, have you heard about this money situation? Twenty eight thousand five hundred dollars deposited into into his account. Okay, and ten thousand withdrawn. And now we're trying to figure out. Okay, where do you get twenty eight thousand five hundred dollars? Who is bankrolling this situation? We're we're trying to say, well, this this. You know, nobody wants to call it terrorism at first. No one wants to say that this is foreign related or whatever. But yet the questions remain. Okay, where, who's financing these people? $10,000 withdrawn. For what? And now a man who bought guns for the couple is being questioned. Did he, you know, was the $10,000 to go to him for, for, for guns or what? I don't know. Again, unfolding. In addition to that, the mother lived there. Okay. In fact, they left their child. Can you imagine that? That's something we have trouble wrapping our brains around. That you could leave your 
you could leave your child with someone knowing that you're going to go shoot up something or whatever, knowing that perhaps you're likely to be killed, but you just leave, you drop the baby off at grandma's house and you go on a shooting spree to kill up as many people as you can, you know, but the mom lived there. Did she not, did she not see anything, you know? And uh, the father has said that, um, that his son, Farouk, was an ISIS, um, you know, an ISIS sympathizer and obsessed with, uh, obsessed with Israel. And uh, I just heard in the last maybe half hour that the father now may be, Fox reported that may be on the terrorist watch list now. So the questions came out, guys. Foreign ties or lone wolf? And evidence is mounting that she was radicalized overseas, Malik was, that she may be an operative, and that her family may be radicalized also. I just heard that recently, too. So as far as how long they've been radicalized, what we've been hearing is, quote, for some time now, whatever that, whatever that means. And then, we, of course, there's that suggestion that she radicalized him. Now, ISIS has come out and called this couple supporters, and we do know that they pledged allegiance or at least she did pledge allegiance to ISIS before or either during the attack on social on social media. So uh, it's this this is it in a nutshell. You know you've been following you you um you know what's going on and and we're still learning learning more. But before we talk about our president, because whenever this comes up, we of course await a response from the commander in chief, from our leader. Um, before we talk about what the president did not do, let, let's talk about what he and the left did, okay? Every time a situation like this arises, okay, we start talking about gun control. There's a big push for gun control. Now, this, I have to say, this situation, this terrorism, is not about guns. It's about terrorism. This San Bernardino tragedy was about guns. It was about terrorism. It's not even about mental health, in my opinion. It's about evil. And it seems like every time somebody shoots somebody up, we want to say everything other than calling it what it is. It's mental health. It's a need for gun control. It's, you know what? Some of it, obviously, there are mentally ill people. But not everybody who shoots somebody up is mentally ill. Some people are just evil. And some people have bought into, have embraced, bought into an ideology causes them to be willing to even lay down their own lives for the sake of killing. So this isn't about, this isn't about gun control, but the president, of course, is going to jump on that every time. You can count, you can count it, count on it. It'll happen. Even during a CBS interview, during the news of the shooting, the president came out to make gun control the point. Well, you know, as he always says, we don't see this in other countries, blah, blah, blah. We, need to, we don't see this in other countries, really. And the New York Times calls for, for, uh, for gun confiscation on its front page. Now, check this out. I'm assuming you, you heard about this, but just in case you didn't, for the first time since 1920, for the first time in, in 95 years, that for the first time, they put an editorial on their front page in response, and that editorial was calling for gun confiscation. And the interesting thing about that is that some have said that that has, it actually hurts the gun control cause. But let me tell you, they can call for gun control 
as much as they want to call for gun control, okay, the people are not buying it. People are not buying, they're not going to give up their gun. In fact, since the attack, the next day, people, gun sales and concealed carry permit applications surged around the country. I said the next day. Okay, as, as Breitbart, Breitbart News reported, and, and I quote, um, on December 3rd, the day after Saeed Farouk and Tashfee Malik opened fire in San Bernardino, California, gun sales and concealed carry permit applications surged around the country. So I'm talking about what the president did. We're, we're, we're going to talk about the political correctness and what he, you know, what he didn't do. But this is what he did, calling for gun control. And you know what? The crazy thing about this call for gun control is that we have found over two decades that as gun purchases go up, gun violence has declined. I'm going to say that again. Over two decades, down 50%, by the way, violence. As gun purchases go up, gun violence has decreased. Why is that? I mean, well, if you're going to ask that, ask this also. Why is it that most of these things are taking place in gun-free zones? There's something about arming yourself. There's something about, you know, look, California has some of the strictest gun control uh, laws at all in the country. And look what happened. I mean, in other countries, the president, this doesn't happen in other countries, really. You know what? We're not buying it. And we're not going to allow, people are not going to allow their guns to be to be confiscated. Um, we have laws on the book. We need to have laws on the book. And you know what? We need to enforce those laws. But calling for gun control in the face of terrorism when criminals don't follow those laws, obviously, you know, what's the point? And it's, and it's already been said that there that there's nothing, no none of the laws were going to stop what we saw last Wednesday. So while Obama, while president is calling for gun control, others have this to say. You guys know who um, Jerry Falwell Jr. is? He um, is the president of Liberty University. And uh, he had... You know, he's under some uh, criticism because he had some strong things to say concerning guns. And I'm going to play that for you so that I don't have to speak for, for Reverend Falwell. I'll let him speak for himself, and uh, and then you can decide for yourself what you think of, of what he said. So um, we're going to, to play that piece for you as soon as I get it queued up here. It just blows my mind when I see the President of the United States say that the answer to circumstances like that is more gun control. I mean, if the people... If some of those people in that community center had had what I've got in my back pocket right now... That... Is it illegal to pull it out? I don't know. Is, is that anyway? I've, I've always thought if more if more good people had concealed carry permits, then we could end those Muslims before they before they walked in and kill us. So, so 
I just want to I just wanted to take this opportunity to encourage all of you to get your permit. We offer a free course, and let's 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 teach them a lesson if they ever show up here. So. Well, there you have it. Liberty University, Christian University. Some people think if you're a Christian, then you're not supposed to believe in defending yourself. But he clearly stated that Liberty University offers concealed carry classes, and also he encourages them to carry a weapon. And obviously, he had one legally on him as well. Now, he did come under fire because he said uh, those Muslims um, and those Muslims. And he did later clarify that to, to say that he obviously did not mean all Muslims. He meant those who were who were coming in and trying to shoot people. So that's one thing. And then what was so interesting, I, I got a little piece of, of home, of New York, because um, on December 3rd, an Ulster County, New York sheriff. Now, I lived in Ulster County for, for some time. It's uh, in upstate New York. Uh, his, his name is Sheriff Paul J. Van Blarkham. And he reacted to the news of the shooting by urging all county residents with concealed carry licenses to begin carrying a gun with them throughout their day. This is the sheriff. And when you have law enforcement telling you that your first line of defense is not them but you, take responsibility for you and your family and carry it with you if you legally have a license, then maybe we need to take take heed to that. Um, so he said, carry uh, your your weapon. So he said, you must be prepared to act it at any given moment. And that was interesting. I also, I want to play another clip from for you uh, for um, from Judge Janine. We all know Judge Janine Pirro on Fox. And um, she was talking about what's going on in the country. And forget about, the, I, forget about being politically correct, because she was not. I'm going to play a part of this where she talks about what we need to do in these times in which we, we find ourselves living. So, um, again, not, not interested at all, obviously, in, uh, in political correctness. So let's, let's see what, um, what the judge has to say. I'm just going to play a piece of this for you. Hello and welcome to Justice. I'm Judge Janine Pirro. Thanks for being with us tonight. The single deadliest terror attack on U.S. soil since 9-11 has happened. They're here. And it's time, time to stop pussyfooting around, time to stop this politically incorrect nonsense, worrying about other people's feelings, pull out all the stops, and start fighting for the survival of this country and our way of life. You need to make a plan how you're going to protect yourself, your family, and your kids. And this is not about politics. It's about being safe. It's about surviving. The plan? Number one, get a gun. Buy one legally, learn how to shoot it, and be primed to use it. And I don't care if you get a long gun, a handgun, a revolver, a semi-automatic, get whatever gun you can handle. And don't let anyone talk you out of it. The Second Amendment to the Constitution. Well, there you have it. Judge Janine Pirro says, get a gun. And, uh, and again, people are just exercising their Second Amendment rights. And so... As much as the left wants to demonize the NRA and demonize uh, people who want to lawfully carry a weapon to protect themselves, the American people will not buy it. 
And so when the New York Times put something like that on their front, on the front page, an editorial like that, you know what, it's not going to work because the American people will not have it. So, um, of course, like I said, we knew what the president would do, and that was to to do the gun grab. Uh, again, you're listening to The Right Voice with your host, Adrian Ross, and the call-in number is 646-200-3715. If you want to chime in on the gun issue, if you want to chime in at all, please do so. I don't know if, if we have some listeners out there who are anti-Second Amendment or who have um, who just have something to say about that or pro or, or um faithfully pro second amendment feel free feel free to call into the number 646-200-3715 and again we are on twitter at at the right voice one and facebook at the right voice radio we'd love for you to follow and and friend us and, and all that good stuff tell your friends about us because we got good things going on all right so uh let's let's move on to to really the point that i want to stress tonight as i said this is we're talking about political correctness, PC. You know, you've heard that all the time, the PC police and all that. You know, is political correctness killing us? We all, you know, we had parents who told us to mind our P's and Q's and to be polite and to be kind. And and if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Yeah. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. How many of you have heard that? Your parents told you that. I remember watching an episode of uh, What's Happening. And I don't know if you remember that old sitcom with Raj and Dee and Rerun, but I remember the mama saying to Dee, who had a big old mouth, if you remember, she said to Dee, Dee, if you don't have anything nice to say to you about your brother or to your brother, don't say anything at all. And Dee said, well, all right, but it's going to be mighty quiet around here because she just didn't have anything nice to say, I guess. But can we live, can we survive with that mentality, you know, if I don't have anything nice to say, I'm not going to say anything at all. Well, that might get us killed. So as more unfolds about this particular uh, shooting and these terrorists, you know, the FBI has their their eye on them. You have to say, well, what happened? And I mentioned earlier, and I want to I want to park here just for for a moment. The neighbor, a neighbor, said that she found their behavior, Farouk and Malik. She found the couple's behavior suspicious going off into, I guess, the garage and spending an awful lot of time there. And just the comings and goings and all that was just suspicious. But she said she didn't want to say anything because she didn't want to be called a racist. She didn't want to be called a racist, so she didn't say anything. How? And I'm not blaming the neighbor because the only person responsible for the action are the ones who took the action. But my, But I'm saying... Is our political correctness bring, taking us down the road that's killing all of us? You know, uh, I don't know. What do you What do you think? So she said, I don't want to be a racist. And you would say, well, ridiculous. If you saw something, you should have said something. I was a teacher for 18 years. I taught English uh, in New York for almost 18 years. And I was a mandated reporter. So if I saw something suspicious, I was by law required to say something. She didn't want to be considered a racist. You say, well, that's crazy. You should have said something. Look what these people ended up doing. But is it really crazy for her to think that? Or have we created an environment that causes people to feel that they can't say anything? Um, Think about the Ahmed Muhammad. You remember Ahmed Muhammad? We started calling him the clock boy. The one that came to school with the clock 
and the president invited him to the White House, and Mark Zuckerberg offered him an internship and everything because he was so poorly treated because the teachers and the administration thought that the clock, supposedly the clock, we come to find out apparently or allegedly that it was all a big uh, farce. But supposedly this was a, you know, some he loved science and all that and loved putting things together. And, and so he, he brought this in and that he was, oh, it was racism because they saw something and they said something. And we have been saying that since 9-11. That has been our, our, you know, our principle by which we abide. See something, say something. See something, say something. Really? How do you have it both ways? They saw something in Ahmed's clock. They said something, and now they've been labeled racist, and there's a lawsuit against them. So how do you tell this neighbor who sees this couple doing what she considers suspicious things, how do you convince her that she's supposed to say something when what we do is we call these people racist? How are we going to convince people to speak up when they're not 100% sure what's going on, and who wants to be labeled anything? We can't have it both ways. So is this PC stuff going to kill us? Now, let's look at what the president and uh, and not just the president, but really, really the whole the whole workings of this investigation, how it went down after the after the shooting. First of all, nobody wanted to call it terrorism. They started saying, well, this is workplace violence. They wouldn't release the name. They didn't release the woman's photo for a while. They bent over backwards not to call it terrorism. And I have to say, there is something to be said for getting it right. There is. You know, but did political correctness figure in? Why didn't they give the name? I mean, if the name was John Doe, if it was Michael Smith, would would the name have been given as opposed to Saeed Farouk or Tashreen Malik? You know, and again, there is something to be said for getting it right rather than just getting it quick. But I'm wondering, with this PC culture we're living in, when, when the suspect, if the suspects are at large, will we employ those same tactics? Will we refuse to say what they look like, what the name might be, and will it cost us lives? And the president still wants to overstress that we don't know if it was a lone wolf attack or if it was tied to something larger, even after the FBI was investigating it as terrorism, even after they finally said this is terrorism. And the president and many on the left still will not utter the words radical Islam. And I find that interesting, and I'll tell you why I find that. Oh, I find it interesting for a number of reasons. I also find it dangerous. But what I really find interesting is that you ever notice how the left acts when somebody who is supposedly on the right does something crazy? it's the Republicans fault they don't have a problem calling that what it is they're not trying to be cautious there they're not trying to be politically corrected there they're just trying to take political advantage the the Planned Parent the shooting in the Planned Parenthood uh, clinic recently many rushed to blame the GOP they said it's because the GOP has been calling out Planned Parenthood for the harvesting of baby parts see oh yeah it was their fault it was the Republicans' rhetoric. They blamed the NRA for shootings by California in California. They blamed Governor Sarah Palin for Gabby Gifford's shooting. Where was the PC there? It's interesting. But yet they won't say radical Islam. And they demonize those who do. Will our refusal to see this as radical Islam put us in more danger? 
trying to be all politically correct. And that brings up the, the, the refugee crisis as well. This whole thing brings that back up as well. People are uncomfortable with letting people into the country when we know we cannot properly vet them. Does that make them racist? And before you say, oh, no, not at all, think about the clock boy and what happened to those people who saw something and said something. I'm Adrian Ross, and you're listening to The Right Voice, 646-200-3715. Is political correctness killing us? Is there a balance, or is it all one way or the other? What do you think? We know that the president eventually did weigh in. He gave an historic Oval Office address. And what was interesting, now let's talk about what the president would not do, which I said, which was that he would not call it radical Islam. But he also didn't spend a lot of time with a plan. He didn't reassure the American people after his speech from the Oval Office, which I believe is only the third time he's done that in his presidency. It's very rare. But here's the deal, and I found this on, uh, I heard a lot of outlets talking about it, but, but um, these numbers I pulled specifically from the Daily Caller. You know, President Obama spent nearly 20% of his Oval Office address on, on terrorism to urge Americans not to be racist. That's about as twice, as twice as long as he took to describe the threat of ISIS. He spent 20% of that address telling us, lecturing the American people on not to be racist. And in his mind, being racist means he's saying radical Islam, calling it like you see it, saying that we have an issue here with radical Islam. 20% of him telling us not to be racist, not to discriminate, as if there's any indication at all that people are doing that. He used roughly 7% of the speech to talk about the need for stricter gun laws. So 20% lecturing us on be kind, don't discriminate. Well, does that mean if I see something, I shouldn't say anything because I wouldn't want to be discriminatory or anything? And I'm for discrimination. But there's no evidence that there's a, a huge wave of discrimination going on. There's no evidence that people are lumping everyone together. Or I think there's not, but we might, you might disagree with that when we get to talking about Donald Trump's comments. So anyway, 7% to talk about uh, the need for stricter gun laws, and uh, I guess only about 10% describing what we wanted to hear, which was the threat of ISIS and what your strategy was. He had no new strategy. He doesn't plan on doing much else different, but he did call it terrorism this time. And I have to give him props for that, that he was able to recognize that and call it terrorism. He didn't call it Islamic, but he did call it terrorism. So, well, we're glad about that. Here's the deal in terms of discrimination, okay, for the PC police who think that um, all we're doing is, um, we, you know, in our speech and in the things that we're doing and saying that we're, we're, that we're discriminating. 57% of victims of hate crimes, according to the FBI, 58% of those are, are um, against Jewish people. It's Jewish bias, and yet we don't seem to want to talk a lot about that. 57% of the hate crimes are against Jewish people. Muslim, 16.1%. So we've got 57 down to 16. And yet he's going to spend most of his speech lecturing us on making sure that we say the right thing and and, and do the right thing and don't hurt anybody's feelings and don't call it what it is. Really. That's really interesting. And, you know, um, continuing on this whole PC thing, we have our Attorney General, Loretta Lynch, 
And she says, in the midst of all that we have going on, the top lawyer, our attorney general, she says her greatest fear is that there will be anti-Muslim rhetoric that will lead to violence against Muslims. That's her concern. We had some leaders who went to the mosque to show solidarity after the terrorism attack. Where is our and that and if you want to go to the mosque, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But I'm thinking, where are our priorities? Where? The American people are dealing with fear and they're dealing with real threats. And what we're talking about is be kind to Muslims and don't be mean to them. And she even talked about, you know what, if we see this rhetoric leading to this or that, we're going to deal with it. Well, I mean, I wish you were that vehement about your willingness to deal with, with the terror threat that, threats that we're facing. Clinton defended the fact that she won't say uh, radical, radical Islam. She doesn't want to blame a whole religion. And then the terrorist family attorney lectured us on not discriminating. Did you see that press conference with the terrorist family attorney? Oh, my goodness. He said... There was probably a lot of ammo because it's cheaper to buy in bulk. He described the woman, the, the terrorist Malik, as a typical housewife. He's telling us to be kind. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And here's another thing. Time is getting away from me. Time is getting away. But these things are so, like, they're so important. And it's just so, it's almost like if you didn't know it really happened, you wouldn't believe it. The political correctness. She's just a typical housewife, and they had lots of ammo because, uh, you know, it's cheaper to buy it that way. And then, of course, MSNBC, Melissa Harris-Perry, who you can always count on to say something, something crazy and very focused on race. She had an issue with the fact that the New York Times showed the woman, Malik, in her job, if I'm pronouncing it right, with, with the, the head covering. Let's, let's find out why. Why is that a problem to show her as she is? Interesting. I want, to, uh, I want you to take a listen at this, at this short clip. Here's what Melissa Harris-Perry said of how we treat Muslims I mean, they are the first that, that image and then also right next to it an, an, an image of, of the shooting suspect there in in his job and that idea that like okay this is what terrorism looks like I for me that that is a difference and it is a material and meaningful difference in how we so on the one hand again I want to be able to talk about what the thing is that is terrorism on the other hand I, I have to reflect that this happens only for specific communities. Some people are terrorists and some people are not. Some people get branded terrorists. <laughs> so in case you didn't quite understand what she was rambling about, what she was so upset about, as I said, <laughs> the fact that the picture showed her in her job, in her head covering, that means that what they're saying is this is what terrorism looks like. That when you see somebody with this, uh, garb on with this head covering on, you're saying that's a terrorist. Really? It didn't even, that would never even have crossed my mind that, that this is what terrorism looks like. No, that's what that woman looks like who happens to be a Muslim woman who, who, who was a, was a terrorist. That's what she looked like. So we're not supposed to show her as she looks like because that's not politically correct because we're saying that she's, a, that all of Muslims are all Muslims are terrorists or everybody Head cover right there. Nobody would. Nobody say. I'm thinking she's projecting, and the left is so good at that. They love to do the race thing because they're consumed with it, and therefore because that's all they think. They 
want to say that that's what you're thinking because they can't fathom that you don't think like they do. Unbelievable. Okay. I want to share this. Um, I want to share this with you here. Um, the right scoop shared some tweets from one of the victims of the shooting in California. And it is heartbreaking. He had tweeted uh, back in 2010, silence. He was quoting uh, Bonhoeffer, um, German Lutheran pastor. Um, I hope I said the name right. Um, who was a theologian, anti-Nazi dissident and a key founding member of the confessing church. He quoted him as saying, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And then he also uh, tweeted, all that's needed for evil to win is for good men to do nothing. And what is so sad about it is that that is what we're talking about with political correctness. This man who was murdered last Wednesday in San Bernardino, California, Silence in the face of evil is itself evil, and yet it seems like the PC police want us to be silent. The right scoop read, wrote this, we're the ones that allow political correctness to kill him. That didn't speak out enough against the threat of Islamism. That aren't holding our political leaders to task on the issue. Our society failed Nicholas Thalassinos, that's his name, and he's rebuking us from the grave. Those are his thoughts. Those are their thoughts over at the right scoop. We're the ones that allow political correctness to kill him. Now, the terrorists killed him, I would say, but the right scoop makes a point. Is political correctness killing us? I'm going to take a break really quick here, and uh, I, will, I will be back, and we will, and we will move on. correctness here. We're going to be transitioning. I want to talk um I want to talk about uh Donald Trump because he is anything but PC. He is the antithesis of political correctness. Okay? And so my question is is he the answer that we need in 2016 or has he crossed the line? 
he's under fire, really under fire, for some comments he made about banning all Muslims from the country. Okay, and uh, you know you you have to you have to wonder, Donald Trump, man, you, people just people people love him, and he says some some wild things, and no matter what he says, it seems that he just uh, continues to um, hmm, he just continues to surge. So I'm gonna play uh, a clip. And uh, I want to. I want you. To, I want to get uh, your your thoughts on this. I'm actually going to to play uh, this clip about um, the fact that we are too politically correct. Take a listen. The San Bernardino terror attack has already had a big impact on campaign 2016. Democrats are pushing for stronger gun regulations. Republicans are blaming the president and saying they'd be tougher on terrorism. No one more so than Donald Trump who we met up with in Raleigh on Friday. There are links between ISIS and this terrorist attack in San Bernardino, but there were no red flags. So how do you stop this from happening again? Well, I think there are red flags, and a lot of people knew what was going on in that house or that apartment, and people were not wanting to call because they thought it would be inappropriate to call. Inappropriate why? Well, they were saying that it was, uh, that they would have uh, been profiling, and a person said, we sort of knew what was going on, but we don't want to profile. Can you believe this? Should there be profiling? Well, I think there can be profiling. I mean, how, how would that work? If they thought there was something wrong with that group and they saw what was happening and they didn't want to call the police because they didn't want to be profiling, I think that's pretty bad. People are dead. A lot of people are dead right now. So everybody wants to be politically correct, and that's part of the problem that we have with our country. Have people been too politically correct with Muslims in America? I think so. I think so. And with maybe other things, too, but I think certainly so. Okay, we'll stop right there on that, and then let's hear what he had to say about banning Muslims. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. We have no choice. We have no choice. Hmm. He says we have no choice. So uh, that has gotten him into into a lot of, of trouble here. Um, again, you're listening to The Right Voice with, with Adrian Ross. We I can't believe how much time has gone by, and we, we've got a lot to cover. So I'm grateful that we do have overtime. I do, I do have a couple callers, and they're hanging with us because we're going to transition at some point soon right into, into talking about the 2016 uh, race and, and Donald Trump as well. But um, they're hanging in there with us, so you do that also. But Trump has, I mean, from the left and the right, he has taken a, a hit. I don't know if he'll take a hit in the polls. But um, Paul Ryan, Speaker Paul Ryan, condemned Trump's. He said he normally does not comment on, on the presidential election, but he did. He condemned it. Carly Fiorina, she called Trump's overreaction. She said Trump's overreaction is as bad as Obama's underreaction. We have um, former VP Ch uh, Dick Cheney. He uh, has uh, obviously had an is issue with it. Um, back to Fiorino, to Fiorina as well. She she said that Don that Donald Trump is a gift to Hillary Clinton. Um, we got Steve Hayes, a, a pundit. He's with the Weekly Standard. He condemned it. Rand Paul, presidential candidate Rand Paul, he said he does not believe there should be a religious test, but he does believe that we need to press pause and we need to limit immigration from the Middle East. And then we have a Florida representative in a House floor speech. 
he said that Donald Trump should get out of the race. He said, it is time, and I quote, that my side of the aisle has one less candidate in the race for the White House. It is time for Donald Trump to withdraw from the race. And he said, we must always insist on a security test, but we must never require a religious test. Then you have Lindsey Graham, who may have 1% in the polls, but he certainly uh, has a lot to say. He called Trump a race-baiting, xenophobic, religious bigot. And he also said, you know how to make America great again? Tell Donald Trump to go to hell. Well, isn't that special? And then Rudy Giuliani, former mayor of New York and former uh, presidential candidate, he said it violates the First Amendment. Most Muslims are peaceful. Then you got Josh Ernest, White House spokesperson, who said that this, I mean, the White House spoke out, said this disqualifies Trump for president. Now, Harry Reid. Senator Harry Reid, <laughs> the one who lied about Mitt Romney not paying his taxes and then excused it by saying, well, he didn't win, did he? Meaning the end justifies the means. He said that Donald Trump is just a vessel of hate. He didn't just stop there. He went on to say that the GOP basically is all about hate. The whole platform is a platform hate. And, you know, I consider Harry Reid an opportunist. I might take him seriously if he simply condemned Trump for what he said, but he had to make it a whole big Republican issue because he's just doing what's politically advantageous. And then we have a mayor, the mayor of St. Petersburg, Florida, Mayor Rick Kreisman. He sent out a tweet that says, I am hereby barring Donald Trump from entering St. Petersburg until we fully understand the dangerous threat posed by all Trumps. And that's a play, obviously, on Trump saying, until we understand the threat posed by uh, by all Muslims, he's saying, I don't want him here until I, we understand the threat posed by all Trump. So here's my question. I mean, are we being politically correct? Is what Trump said really that crazy? Um, if Trump had said, for example, well, let's just close the door to all immigration rather than saying Muslim, would that have been better? Would that have been better? Would that, would people have received that better? And would that have been the PC thing to do? Is there something to be said? Listen, I have taught, like I said, I taught for 18 years and I taught many, many, many Muslim students who are wonderful people. There's no way I would say that all Muslims are, you know, are evil or anything like that, you know, but I guess what Donald Trump is saying is that we have a safety issue and you can agree or disagree. I'm just putting it out there. We have a safety issue, and the American public must be safe. And therefore, until we get a handle on it, he did go, he said it was temporary. Until we get a handle on it, no Muslims in the country. Man, everyone says that's so anti-American. And you know, really, it is anti-American. But are we allowing that to put us in danger? You know, is, is what he's saying making sense? I, I don't know. I'm going to, before I even start getting into 2016 and, and opening up to other candidates, I'm going to invite our callers, and I have, I have, I have um, two callers, and I, I want them to chime in here before I even go further. And like I said, you're listening to the right voice, and, and um, hopefully they, um, they've been so patient, and hopefully they can hang with us through overtime because um, I really want to get their take on, on 2016. So, um, Devin, are you with us? I am, Adrian. Great to be here. Yes, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for your patience, Devin. Oh, not a problem. Yes, and Shirley, are you with us also? 
Yes, hello, Adrian. I'm here. Okay, I'm so glad you're here, and I want to thank you also for being so patient. There's so much to talk about, you know? Funny, lots to talk about. A lot to talk about. Well, I, I want to, before I even get into 2016 and the other candidates, because I, I just want to, I'm going to start with you, Devin. Um, tell us, what what do you think about this whole PC thing? What do you think about Trump, even beyond Trump? Our whole conversation that we're talking about with PC, you know, political correctness. Well, Adrian, when it comes to political correctness, I think we need to be willing to call things as we see it. Mm-hmm. But that also um, that doesn't dismiss the, the need for being respectful. And mm-hmm. Donald Trump has taken disrespect uh, to a level that I don't know we've seen in presidential politics. Um, okay. I'm a Christian, and I, mm-hmm. I look at uh, the, the content of people's character uh, very much in how they treat other people. Mm-hmm. And I don't see a very Christian... A uh, strong man of faith in Donald Trump, and it's really discouraging to me. We have some okay. incredible people uh, in mm-hmm. this field right now who mm-hmm. have been very respectful of the other candidates who want to talk about the issues. Unfortunately, Donald Trump likes to spend a lot of time talking about himself. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I'm not a fan of political correctness, but I am a fan of respect. Uh, okay. And with that, okay. I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. Okay. All right. And Shirley, what do you think? Well, uh, Donald Trump has a way of getting a point across, but um, he's not the only one who's not politically correct. There's other candidates who have said things and have a stand on issues that are completely drowned out because Trump gets all the airtime because he says things that are sometimes so outrageous and offensive that he just dominates them. The ones who have a serious solution or comments on the issue are being drowned out and ignored. And uh, such as Rick Santorum, I would say that he's the original boat rocker when it comes to being politically incorrect. If you'll notice, um, remember back uh, over a dozen years ago, he was the one warning and telling President Bush that he needed to call the enemy what it was, radical Islam. And um, President Bush would not do that. He was politically correct and called them terrorists. So this goes way back over a dozen years with Rick Santorum being politically incorrect. And mm-hmm. uh, if we, had we listened to him back then, we wouldn't be in the situation we are right now. So I think that people like, like candidates like Rick Santorum are, are the ones that are um, being overlooked because every, everything's being focused on Donald Trump instead. I understand mm-hmm. he has the point, and, and I know Rick Santorum even said that Donald Trump does have a point, but there's a way of – um, not banning all Muslims from coming, but you have to ban Muslims from radical nations that have the jihadists that are there and also mm-hmm. refuse to bring in any of the Syrian refugees to this country. You have to start somewhere, but you don't have to be as offensive as Donald Trump and, and getting the point across. But there's a way to do this practically without um, violating the Constitution on a, on a faith level. Mm-hmm. And, and just to chime in here, too, Donald Trump's plan also would not have – stop this attack because he clarified and went on to say that, that American citizens would be allowed to, re- to enter the country and we uh, we know that um, Farouk was an American uh, citizen so that, that wasn't going to work. Uh, anyway so um, now Devin so uh, well for Shirley you obviously support Rick Santorum correct? Yes I do. Okay and Devin tell us who you support and where does, where does your candidate stand in terms of political correctness? Uh, well, I have been supporting uh, Carly Fiorina since January, uh, before she was even known by uh, maybe 10% of the American people. 
Uh, and, and Carly Fiorina has an incredible way of being willing to speak the truth, but doing so in a way that's respectful and encourages people to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very pleased with her response to uh, Donald Trump's statements uh, today. She made it very clear. Donald Trump is Hillary Clinton's Christmas present under a tree. Um, mm-hmm. I am convinced, I said in 2012, that if we nominated Mitt Romney, we would lose. I am mm-hmm. saying this year that if we nominate Donald Trump, we will lose. Mm-hmm. I have friends who are Democrats who are very honest with me. They want nothing more than to run against Donald Trump in November of 2016, and we cannot let that happen. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's something to be said, too, for be careful what you ask for. So they might they might, uh, might find that to be the case. But let, let's look a little bit about it, because the, the race is, is um, shaking a little bit. Um, in recent polling in Iowa, okay, uh, now Cruz is for the first time, according to a Monmouth University poll from December 3rd through the 6th. 24% Cruz, 19% Trump, Rubio at 17, Carson at 13, Bush at 6. Now, previously, a poll in Iowa, Trump at 33 and Cruz at 20, Carson at 16, Rubio 11, Bush 4. So we've got those same players, but taken up now, and Cruz is, 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 it seems to be surging. But I have to say to you guys, as a Santorum supporter, as a Fiorina supporter, they're not on that list at all. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to start with you, Why? what is going on with Santorum? How did he get some traction? And then I'll ask Devin the same question about Fiorina. Well, I'll take you back to four years ago. Rick Santorum was polling at 2% in the national polls the day he won Iowa. A lot of people have forgotten about that, that he stayed at 1% the entire year of 2011. And he didn't start his rise until about a week before um, Iowa caucus goers decided to to, uh, vote for him. The way he will get traction is because he is out there meeting and talking with everyday um, voters in Iowa. He's been to all 99 counties, just like last time, in small settings to meet and talk with people, not holding big rallies like Donald Trump, but he's out there talking to the movers and shakers and those who are going to be caucus captains who will go there and speak for him at caucus. Now, uh, the reason he's so low in the polls is because he's never in the news. There is a total 100% media blackout on Rick Santorum. I I meet people every day. I've I've been getting signatures and doing things here in Virginia. People don't know he's running. Uh, Nine out of ten people have no idea Rick Santorum's out there because there's a 100% primetime media blackout on Rick Santorum and on him only. I don't know if people have realized that, but he's not on any of the shows. Fox News has completely snubbed him in all their evening news and primetime shows, which is where most of the Republican voters go for their news. So this Mm -hmm. is why the people who are behind the polls are the ones who are constantly given coverage repeatedly and very generous coverage and, I mean, airtime and they are mentioned frequently. Rick Santorum does not get that. This is why he's low in the polls. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I wonder if he has a plan to turn to turn that to turn that around. What about what about um, Fiorina um, Devin? Why is she? I mean, at one point after the that first debate, that first primetime debate she was on, she people really got to see her and thought, okay, great, and her numbers went up, but it's like it just didn't go anywhere. Well, the the problem is is um, what happened was she got this great amount of attention in the debate. Uh, unfortunately, her campaign doesn't have a lot of money. So in order to maintain that momentum that you receive from a debate, 
you have to have money to be able to sustain that. Uh, and unfortunately, at the time that her boost in the polls came, the money wasn't there. Uh, it has time to come in. I think uh, if she is able to get another strong debate performance, we will see her rise in the polls again. But I will say I have not talked to a single person who has had the opportunity to meet Carly Fiorina in person who has not walked away uh, impressed. She is one of those people that when you look her in the eyes, you know this is a woman who is genuine about everything that she says. She is not saying what she's saying simply because it's what you want to hear. Uh, and, and I have to agree with um, the other guests. All of the media attention is on Donald Trump. And as Carly pointed out the other day, it's, it's like Donald Trump says something uh, insane. The media pays attention to it. Well, then he comes out and says, well, that's not really what I meant. And the media pays attention to that. Uh, and we see it time and time again. Mitt Romney tweeted today that once again, uh, Donald Trump, it was like he fired before he aimed. He says this outrageous, ridiculous comment, and then he spends the next three days trying to clarify what he meant instead of mm-hmm. getting his facts straight, getting a, a real proposal in line before he opens his mouth. Uh, mm-hmm. And the media loves it. So the rest of the candidates, we have the strongest field of candidates we have had in decades, and not one of these legitimate candidates are getting the attention they deserve because everyone's watching Donald Trump. And you know what's so interesting about that is I really say the timing timing is everything because any other time in history I don't we, we wouldn't be seeing this there is this anti-establishment sentiment um, and Donald Trump of course is dominating the news getting free advertisement you know think about it Walker is out there was a point when Scott Walker was considered a favorite in this thing and he just just fizzled fizzled away. But I have to ask both of you, and either one of you can jump in here. Wouldn't you say, though, that the ability to to garner attention speaks to your ability to lead? I mean, does it say something that they cannot surely, you know, does it say something about Rick Sanford that he can't seem to grab the attention? No, actually he did. I, I'll, I'll tell you how he's grabbed the attention. He, Rick Santorum mm-hmm. has had a profound effect on this entire race. If you mm-hmm. pay attention to what, what actually was Donald Trump's entry into this, this race was his blue-collar message. Right. Donald Trump, billion, corporate billionaire, running on a blue-collar message. Now, if people remember back to 2012, that was Rick Santorum's campaign. He ran speaking for the everyday working American, and he wrote a book last year called Blue-Collar Conservatives. And I don't know if anybody realizes it, but Donald Trump read that book last year, and he invited Rick Santorum to come to visit him when he was in New York City. And when Rick Santorum got up to his office, Donald Trump met him holding the book. And Santorum mm-hmm. was shocked, and Donald Trump he said, I got your book and read it, and this is the right message. And they had about an hour-long conversation and visit. It, you, can, you can look it up. I, I even blogged about it. I have an entire mm-hmm. blog thing. Um, go to somebody'sgottosayit.net. And look it up. Mm-hmm. Is Donald Trump a blue-collar conservative? And the entire um, meeting is detailed there. But Donald Trump has taken this blue-collar message, and he's bounded on the political scene on this message. And, um, and Scott Walker used the message. Um, Rubio is basically parroting Santorum verbatim. And now t- Ted Cruz is now talking about Reagan Democrats and blue-collar conservatives. Everybody's mm-hmm. trying to be Rick Santorum. So his message is resonating and connecting. He's just the right. one not getting the attention. They're taking it from him and running on his message. He, when, when he reclaims his message, um, people out there hearing him, they're overwhelmingly impressed with him when they hear him speak. Um, mm-hmm. There was an entire Tea Party in Texas that was basically for Ted Cruz, got to meet and talk with Rick Santorum. 
almost everybody converted over to Rick Santorum after hearing his message because he said the Republican Party has to have a message for the everyday working American. We can't just be for business owners because 90 percent of the people in this country do not own a business, and we have got to be the party right, that right. speaks to them. So that's his oh. message, and that you actually are seeing him connecting, but others are using his message. And I think his time is going to come when Iowans realize who the serious candidate is, and when they do the weeding through the field here, they, they will get behind Rick Santorum again. Okay. All right. Well, well Devin, you, you're um, a young man, but you have been very involved in the political process, um, as obviously Shirley has, and you have run for office, right? You've gotten your feet wet. So what advice would you have for Carla Fiorina to gain traction? Well, I think Carla just has to stick to her message. Um, she has uh, an incredible depth of knowledge on the ideas. She has a real understanding of what it is that the American people want to see. Um, and to your, your question about leadership, anyone can step in front of some cameras and say something outrageous and get attention. It mm-hmm. takes a real leader to actually put together uh, a comprehensive, um, intelligent statement uh, about what their plan is for for the future of this country. Uh, and that's what Carly Fiorina has proven herself capable of doing. Uh, I agree that once we get into the actual primaries and people have to go in and cast a real vote, Donald Trump will fall to the wayside. The serious candidates will begin to emerge and this race can finally become the important election that it needs to be for the future of our country. And Carly Fiorina will prove herself worthy of votes in every state across the nation. Adrian, can I make a yeah. can I make a statement too sure. about what this what this election is boiling down to? Is we've got a lot of people in this race who who can talk really good about what they will do. It's going to come down to rhetoric versus actual experience. Who has actually done things, not just talked about it, but who has actually fought, led, and won on every issue that is in this election and that's playing out in our daily headlines. Um, mm-hmm. Are we going to go with people who just ha- can speak a good game and can talk their way to, to the office, or are we going to look at the record and see what have you done on this? Have you mm-hmm. had an experience in this issue? And when you compare Rick Santorum to other candidates, he dwarfs the entire field combined on foreign policy and national security. And every issue that's in this campaign, he has mm-hmm. major footprints of actually having gotten stuff done. So I think it's going to come down to rhetoric versus actually experience and results from the leadership. I think that's going to come down to that. Well, you know, I had thought that things would turn, and, and a lot of people predicted that, that uh, things would change and Donald Trump would kind of fade away after the summer. Summer comes and people are not really paying attention. Well, listen to perhaps, um, perhaps that's the case, perhaps, I mean, either we are naive people or we're not quite paying attention fully yet or whatever, but we will see how this shapes up. My final question, uh, as, as we are in overtime, I could, talk, I could keep talking to you guys all night, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> my, my final question is that, if your candidates don't emerge victorious, are you both going to get behind and continue to work for whoever the candidate is? And when I say whoever, I mean whoever, whether that's Cruz, whether it's, you know, whether it's Lindsey Graham, whether it's Donald Trump. Well, um, I'm – go ahead. Go ahead, Devin. Okay. Uh, I will get behind um, – 
I will get behind the nominee as long as it is not Donald Trump. I, I cannot bring myself to vote um, for Donald Trump. Okay. All right. Shirley? Um, I, my position and mindset right now is that I'm full steam ahead for Rick Santorum and that my mind is not on anything, any scenario where he's not the candidate right now, the nominee right now. So my okay. goal is focused to get Rick Santorum to the nomination and then to the White House. I'm not going to go somewhere where I, that my plans don't include right now. So he's the man mm-hmm. with the plan. Okay. <laughs> and so okay. I'm, just, I'm just focused completely on him right now. So, Adrian, sure could I make? Sure, go ahead, Devin. Could I make one last point? And I, it's kind of back to what we were talking about originally. But Donald Trump's comments this week, um, a lot of the defense that I've seen is from people who who talked about the Japanese internment camps that um, that we turn to in our country's history. And I can remember sitting in history class my freshman year and learning about those Japanese internment camps and what they did to families and thinking, this is not what this country is about. I was mortified to learn about what we did to these families. So to think that in 2015, the leading presidential candidate for the Republican Party uh, one of his his ideas is being defended by citing something that we did back in you know way back when that I thought was absolutely horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just blows my mind. It is not who we are as a country, uh, and I, I just couldn't end um, this thing without without sharing that. And, and I, I appreciate that comment, but I, I do have to account you a little bit. I I don't think that Donald Trump was suggesting internment camps. I think he was saying that we put in. We took measures, or FDR took put in practice things because the need called for it. But uh, I believe George Stephanopoulos had asked him if that was what he was suggesting. But I don't think that was. Well, what he, it, he did. He did use. He did use that example to defend his proposal, though. So um, right. I just yeah. I thought that was bizarre. Okay, okay. so we, we can agree. We can agree to disagree on on that. But um. Okay. But yeah, <laughs> I, I appreciate you uh, pointing that out. So um, I just want to uh, I want to thank you both Shirley and Devin for for coming on and sharing your wealth of knowledge and your enthusiasm and um, and everything and and I guess what I'm hearing from both of you is that you're you're in it for your um for your candidate for for Carly Arena for uh, Rick Santorum and uh, and definitely not believers in political correctness but you're also not believers in just grabbing attention by saying bombastic kind of kinds of things. Am I right in that? Am I have I You're right. Yes. Okay. I I, be, I believe I believe that having keen foresight and intellect and the wisdom that comes from experience tr- trumps excuse of the phrase <laughs> trumps the bombastic personality every time. So Okay. You guys are great. Thank you, Devin. Thank you, Shirley. Keep up the good work and uh and hopefully we can, um, and prayerfully, really, we will uh, figure out where we're going as a nation and we will move forward because we're in need of leadership. And whether that comes from Santorum or if it comes from Fiorina, if it comes from Cruz, if it comes from Trump, <laughs> I don't know. But mm-hmm. we need leadership in this country. And most of all, we need, we need God to move because we're in some serious times. So thank you very much. Thanks for thank taking you, my Adrian. call. You have a blessed evening. All right. You too. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Okay, well, thank you uh, so much for uh, for joining us, um, uh, Devin and, uh, and and Shirley. I really appreciated their insight and their um, transparency. 
And, uh, and uh, you know, Shirley kind of reminded me of myself as a coach when I asked her if she would get behind the eventual nominee if it wasn't Senator Santorum, and, and she wouldn't even con- consider it. It reminds me of when I was coaching uh, high school varsity basketball, and I never wanted to entertain the thought of losing. And so I would I would be saying, talking to them about character, and I would say whether we, whether you know, you want to say whether we win or whether we lose, we do things with character. But I would always say whether we win or whether we uh, win. I just couldn't even entertain. I didn't want to entertain the thought of losing, but, um, and, and of course I appreciate Devin's honesty. I mean, um, whether we agree or disagree and we may disagree, uh, others may disagree, but he will not support, uh, Donald Trump, no matter, no matter what. And, and before he has to, a line from To Kill a Mockingbird, my favorite novel is Atticus Finch says to his daughter, Scout, um, he says, she, he, I don't know if you know the story, but the bottom line was that Atticus was defending Tom Robinson, a, a black man uh, who was accused of a crime he did not commit. Um, and uh, and Scout, as a young six-year-old, she said to her father, you must be wrong. And he said, why? And she said, because most people think that they're right and you're wrong. And he says, yeah, and they're entitled to their opinion. And then he said these words, but before I live with other folks, I've got to live with myself. The one thing that doesn't abide by majority rule is a man's conscience. And so although we may say, you know, you, you have to get behind the nominee, I guess what Devin is saying is that before he can live with what you think of him, he's got to be able to live with himself. And for him, that's not that's not Donald Trump. So, um, you know, hey. Uh, so anyway, we have gone into overtime here on the right voice. It's been a, it's been a great, great, great show, and uh, it's been some serious issues. I, I did want to, like I said, point out um, about this political correctness stuff. I do not believe in political correct correctness. I um, I hear where Donald Trump is coming from. I do think we need to do something. I do think safety needs to come first. I understand his point that um, we are in dangerous times, and so. Perhaps I'm not as hard on him as uh, as others are. It's one of those things that you, it's it's got you kind of kind of. I guess I, I guess my thinking is not necessarily a religious test, but you know, is it is it completely far fetched to say maybe we need to hold off on all immigration until we get this thing taken care of and uh, and know what we're what, what we're what we're dealing with, you know? Um, but you have to decide for yourself: is political correctness killing us. Do we need more people like Trump calling it as he sees it? Or do we need that balance that Devin talked about? Not being politically correct, but at the same time being respectful. And obviously one thing Shirley mentioned, I believe it was Shirley who mentioned the Constitution and, and I'm not a I'm not a constitutional scholar, but um any case, uh, many are calling his call for a ban unconstitutional. In any case, um, I'm going to end here with uh, one bit of, of, of wacky news and then happy news. One wacky news, and, and it's really wacky, and it's not funny wacky. Um, you may have seen that the Daily News mocked prayer after the um, shooting. You know, everyone is saying, uh, we're praying for you. We're praying for your family. And uh, but they decided to put on the New York Daily News decided to put on their cover um, tweets from Republicans saying we're, you're in our thoughts, you're in our prayers. And they mocked that with a huge headline that says God isn't fixing this. And people, um, the majority of Americans who in God in prayer um, are, are offended by that because, you know, we are we are we are praying. You know, and we do need to pray. God isn't fixing this. Well, you know, you can rely on what you want to rely on. I'm going to rely on God because when people are hurting, when people's lives have been ripped apart, God 
wraps his arms around them, and he is our, our only peace. And we may not understand everything that happens, but one thing I know from my own experience, that were not for God, you can forget it. So don't stop praying for me because God has fixed much in this life. And we as a nation need to bless God. And uh, so that, that that was just wacky and it was just rude um, and obviously out of touch with the American people and the American sentiment. Then my happy news, I um, want to point out um, former governor of Alaska, Sarah Palin, has uh, a new book out. It's called... Sweet Freedom, a devotional, and it um, skyrocketed to um, on top of the, uh, the the list for devotionals. It is. I just want to throw that out there and encourage you to get Sweet Freedom, a devotional. It's not your. You might say, "Well, what do we need another devotional?" There's so many. This is not like other devotionals. This takes real life situations. Whether you're talking about the Second Amendment, whether you're talking about. Um, um, raising your your children may seem to go away with whether you're talking about terrorism. You don't usually see those kinds of things in a devotional, but some people think the Bible is not practical. Well, this devotional takes those real life situations and puts the word of God to them. And so um, it's, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal book. It's called Sweet Freedom. And that's some happy news. We need that news. So take that New York daily news. Anyway, um, Thank you for joining me. Again, I am Adrian Roth. I am host. I am now the solo host of The Right Voice. Catch me on Twitter at The Right Voice One, Facebook, The Right Voice Radio. And I will see you, God willing, next Tuesday here, same time, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern. All right. I appreciate you tuning in. Have a good evening. And God bless you. You know the words. I know you do. My eyes have seen the glory.